Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, everybody. It's been good to be here to worship with you all and uh, spend the morning here in Hutchinson, South Hutchinson, and uh, just uh, enjoy every time I get a chance to come come this way. I bring greetings, of course, from uh, brothers and sisters up to the north. And it's good to, to come and spend the morning with you all today. And Eric and I did a little campus swap. So I don't know, you can determine if you got the raw end of that deal or not. But uh, it's, uh, it's always good for me to come and, and hang out with you guys and, and spend the morning. So today we're in uh, week five of our series uh, we call Vertigo, the disorienting stories of Jesus. If you've been around here, you kind of know where we're at and what we've been doing. Uh, I'll give a little bit of a couple of introductions for those of you that might be new or you're just catching up with where we're at in this series. You know, Jesus was a wonderful storyteller. Uh, he, he told stories lots of times, and, and these were not little nursery rhyme tales. They were, they were hard stories sometimes for people to understand. Uh, and, and Jesus was pointing out some things that were below the surface of life or maybe above our, our heads, things that we didn't necessarily pay attention to or notice. Uh, and as I was thinking about that, scientists today do some of the same kind of work. They're, they're pointing out the things that might be below the surface of the ground. They, they look at the, the rock and the magma and all the things down to the Earth's core, right? They're also looking at the far-flung galaxies of, of our universe, right? They, they point out things to us that we wouldn't normally see or notice. Uh, they maybe study things under the surface of the water in the ocean, right? The, the creatures and the, the plants and the, all the things that happen under there while we're skimming across the top in a boat maybe or flying over it in an in airplane, we don't necessarily notice all those things. And so Jesus, in the same way, is, is telling us stories to help us see things differently, to notice the things that might be unseen in, in, under the surface of life and to point those things out to us and to help us to look toward the heaven and, and begin to see things from God's perspective. So Jesus told us these stories to give us a glimpse of the kingdom of God, to help us understand what that might be like if more of God's reign came to earth. These are often called parables, and uh, about, actually, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the Gospels, the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about a third of Jesus' words are in story form. Uh, So this is a very uh, prevalent aspect of Jesus' ministry, is him telling stories, Uh, And in that day and time, of course, many people couldn't read and write, and so stories were the way in which you delivered lots of information that helped people to understand and to remember it so that they could tell it to others. And so these stories have a a lot to to teach us, Uh, and and Jesus doesn't seem too interested in teaching us about abstract truths. He's not really that worried about discussing the doctrine of this and that. That's not really his, his perspective at all, but instead he's trying to help us get our hands dirty to understand what the kingdom of God is like and how we can be activated to be a part of it, to be participants in God's mission in the world. That's what he seems most interested in when he's talking about these things in parable form. Now, a parable, I like to say, is a little story with a big truth. That's a little story with a big truth, and that helps us to kind of remember that there's maybe more going on there than what we read initially, right? There's something that Jesus wants us to see that might not be noticeable on the initial surface. But not everyone thought these stories had much truth to them. Uh, These stories were oftentimes very conflictual for people. Many people, when they heard Jesus tell a story, they they walked away. This guy's crazy, right? This guy doesn't have much to offer me. Or the things that he's saying are so hard, I'm not interested, right? So we see a number of times where that happens in Jesus telling stories to crowds of people, and people disperse. They leave. They were meant to disrupt our lives. These stories were not meant to make us all feel good about what we're doing and how we're living. They were meant to kind of 
turn us on our head a little bit and say, hold up, maybe there's something we've been missing. And that's really why we call this series Vertigo. It gives us a sense of being off balance, a sense of kind of being disoriented. And yet, when we begin to see things rightly, it actually reorients us to God's story, to God's reality, and how we are called to live. So, uh, last week, Pastor Eric was here to teach about the shrewd manager and the merciful master. If you were here, you heard that story, of course. Uh, This term shrewd is one that we hear, and oftentimes our immediate reaction is negative. Uh, A shrewd person would not be somebody you'd want to associate with, wouldn't want to do business with someone like that. But the reality is, someone who's shrewd in business isn't necessarily always a bad thing making some decisions based on the bottom line and determining how you're going to maximize your profit and doing some of those kind of things to broker deals is kind of important if you want to be successful in that. Now, the same way, this morning we're going to talk about uh, an aspect that Jesus teaches us a story about that can be seen negatively or positively. Persistence. Now, when I think about persistence and, and being that we're in the spring, the first thing that popped into my head was those little yellow flowers that you're starting to see pop up in your yard. <laughs> maybe you don't have any. I have maybe a few, but maybe you guys are no, no dandelions in your yard. But I think the reality is those, those little dandelions are, are very persistent, right? They grow in places that you wouldn't think they would have enough nutrients to even grow. And even if you go around and spray them all and pluck them out with those little tools, you know, you can do all that you want. Guess what? Next year, they're back, right? So they they continue to come back. They're very, very persistent little weed. But it's also made them a very prolific, expansive uh, plant species. They've been very successful in what they're trying to do is populate the earth with little yellow dandelions and blow their seed wherever, right? They're good at it. The other things I thought about were stories of persistence in people. Uh, one in particular that I was thinking about was a, a guy who was uh, kind of failed early on in, in his young life of, of business ventures he had tried. And they didn't work out. Nothing really seemed to pan out for him. He got a job at a newspaper, and then uh, he, he actually got fired from that newspaper because they said he had a lack of creativity and imagination seems like a funny thing to have in a newspaper. Anyway, lack of creativity and imagination. That person was none other than Walt Disney. Lack of creativity, lack of imagination. I see it completely, right? Uh, So that was Walt Disney. How about the the young man who didn't make the basketball team in high school, uh, but then went on to have the most successful shoe line for Nike ever? Michael Jordan. A little persistence needed, right? Or uh, the children's author who, who had his first book rejected by 27 publishers before it was ever picked up. Any ideas? Dr. Seuss. That's right. So these are the kinds of stories of people, household names, uh, of people that have shaped the industries that they've been a part of. They are pioneers in their field, and yet they would have almost were never even heard of. These people almost never happened in our society. We would have never known of them or the things that they've accomplished if they were not persistent. So these, these famous people, this persistence, we see that in their stories. We see that in dandelions, but we recognize that persistence is pretty much needed in our lives if we want to be successful in just about anything, right? If you want to be good at sports, right? If you want to be good at sports, you're going to have to be somewhat persistent, right? The Jayhawks are going to dust themselves off and have to figure out what's going on next, next time, right? Uh, the, while well, the dragons are celebrating, right? 
Um, so there's this aspect of being persistent in sports. Or how about business? Right? If you have worked in business or are in business, you recognize that not always is it a good season, right? Not every time is, is the market booming. You're going to have to be persistent, find another way, right? Or how about in ministry? This morning we had uh, two church planners uh, from our conference here this morning that are planting a church in Kansas City, and they talked a bit about their need to be persistent, right? In ministry, you need to be persistent. How about parenting? Huh. Kind of need some persistence in that too, don't we? Uh, So there's a recognition that just about anything that you want to do and be successful at, you're going to need to be persistent. But persistence isn't always a good thing. It really depends on our motives. Uh, I I think about uh, maybe a salesperson who's going door to door, and they come to your house, and they want to sell you some siding, right? Oh, no, I just put siding on my house. I don't really want siding. Thanks anyway. A minute or two later, they're back at the door. I forgot to tell you about our windows, right? We have these great window products. And then, they, no, I don't really need windows. Pretty soon they're at the bathroom window. And they're like, you got to buy my stuff, right? We call that pushy. Their persistence has gone too far. They're now annoying and we want them to just leave. Please get off my property. I don't want to talk to you anymore, right? How about the situation which there's a dating relationship? And, and maybe the one side pers- of the relationship says, you know what, this just isn't really going where I want it to, so I think we need to end our relationship. But the other person continues to call and continues to show up in public places and then starts leaving those little love notes underneath your windshield wipers. We call that what? Stalking. Creepy, right? That, that's not good. That's persistence gone too far, okay? I'm going to give a restraining order on you if you do that, right? Uh, or, or the situation which marriage, uh, a husband and a wife are in the middle of conflict. And uh, both are being persistent until the point which nobody is willing to, to give and people are getting frustrated and words start to be said and all of a sudden there's a physical altercation. We call that what? Abuse. Persistence isn't always a good thing. And so we need to recognize that from the beginning that this is, is something that God will honor holy persistence pursuits for the benefit of other people or pursuits for the benefit of god's kingdom but when we persist in getting our own way we typically find ourselves in trouble so turn with me in your bibles to luke chapter 18 verses 1 through 8 we're going to read this disorienting story this morning luke 18 1 through 8 you can find it in your pew bible or if you have your own or scan the little QR code so that you can read it. It's also, of course, on the screen. Luke 18, 1 to 8, and this is the story that Jesus tells. It starts off, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. Now, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, I, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice 
and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This passage begins by telling us it's Jesus and his disciples. This isn't a story that he's telling to a large crowd. It's just him and the twelve. And and so that's a context for us to remember. He also then tells us something that, that we normally don't see at the beginning of parables is actually the reason why he tells them the parable in the first place. Normally, we, we find that these are more cryptic than that, and it's hard to understand why would Jesus tell them that, right? But instead, it comes right out of the gate and tells us, he says this, that always pray and never give up. Those are the two things that, that Luke gives us as this is why Jesus told him the parable, to always pray and never give up. Now, then he proceeds to tell the story, the story of the widow and the judge, these two characters. Now, we can understand a little bit about this story by understanding the two characters a little bit more. First off, we have this judge, and in in that society, of course, a judge would have been a man of power, someone who had risen to the status in the community to be able to rule over other people's situations. Uh, they, They had some authority, right? The widow, on the other hand, the widow is is somebody who really is, has no, no uh, male figure in her life that's, that's kind of persisting on her behalf. Uh, her husband has been killed or has died, and she, in this society, is very much vulnerable. She's powerless. Now, the, the, the judge, the man in the story, of course, to get to that status of a judge, you have to have some financial ability to walk away from your business or your vineyard or whatever, to be able to execute justice as a judge. So we know that this man was also prosperous, right? So he had some wealth. Uh, on the other hand, we have this, this widow, this woman who doesn't have a, a male heir or a, a husband figure or maybe a, a, a brother-in-law who's caring for her in this way, and so she is defenseless in this way. She is probably going to find herself penniless. So this disparity that Jesus is painting this picture for us is, is this, this man this judge who has power and has wealth, and this woman who has no husband, who has no power, has no money, uh, is kind of this, this situation, this disparity that he's pointing out. And then, of course, in that culture, widows had very few rights. They were often taken advantage of, so much so that we see consistently throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, some explanation that we as the church, that as the people of God, are called to care for those who are in distress, for widows and for orphans. Jesus' own brother James, in, in chapter 1, verse 27, he's talking about what is pure religion, right? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's what he's holding up, as that's where we, as, as, as the early church, should be aiming. So this importance to to care for widows in their distress is is quite significant. But yet, in the story, Jesus is making it quite clear there is no one who's caring for this widow in her distress. No one is defending her. She's on her own. And so in that society, there would have been three ways in which you could try to get justice. First, you could uh, try to pay off the judge, bribe him, right? Say, I got a little money, we'll do a little business, you take care of my problem, I'll take care of yours, like this is going to work out great. Well, we already determined earlier she has no money. So that option's out. Uh, You could threaten the judge. I know people in high places, listen here, you won't have your job much longer, right? But we already found out she's powerless. She doesn't really have much influence in the community. So the third option that's available to her is to persist, to just stick with it. 
to continue to go back to the judge and ask for him to help her. Now, Jesus shares two important things about the judge in this story as well. They're qualities that we see in him and that Jesus points out. They're also qualities that I think we should look for in ourselves and in others. They have to do with fear and love. Uh, the first one is, is about the fear of the Lord. It says, in particular, that this judge doesn't fear God. Second, he doesn't really care for people. Now, not exactly the kind of judge that I want executing justice on my behalf or overseeing my case. How about the rest of you? Is this the guy you want on the bench? Uh, it's kind of scary when you think about a judge who, who uh, doesn't really have any respect of God or fear of God because if he has no fear of the Lord, if he doesn't see there's any authority beyond himself, he's going to function very much like a God himself. He's going to execute justice as if he is the king of his courtroom and he is the judge of, of other people's lives. It's his own little kingdom. He seems to care little about the, the, the commandments of God, the, the precepts of God, the things that he would somehow organize life and structure in society somewhat around what God has called us to live. But he also seems to care little about the, the feelings, the thoughts, the issues of other people. Doesn't seem to be really be swayed about that. Okay, so... He doesn't really care. Uh, by the end of reading this story, I don't know about you, but I get the idea that this is a cold, cruel, heartless judge. He's clearly the villain in the story. We don't like him, right? We want Jesus to tell us a story that somehow makes all his wealth and all his power become the widows. That's what we're kind of hoping for in that. He has, has a little, little regard for these things that affect other people. Now, this widow seems like she's up against some pretty big odds, doesn't she? She's got this powerful judge, this wealthy judge, who doesn't really give a rip about what God has to say and doesn't really care about her. How is she going to get justice? But eventually, as Jesus tells the story, she persists. And eventually, he gives in. He says, I'll, I'll give her justice because I don't want her to attack me. This widow is courageous. She is tenacious. I like to think of her as like, every time the door opens of this guy's house... Good morning, Judge. How are you? I'd like to talk to you a little bit about my case. Oh, you're stepping out to lunch? Can I walk with you, Judge? Let's talk about my case. I wanted to go over the finer points of the issues that I've been trying to present to you. Eventually, of course, in that community, everybody starts to notice that this lady is always wherever you are and continues to talk to you about this case. Why don't you just give her justice? Why don't you just help her out, right? So it starts to affect his collateral in the community with people, his relationships. And folks begin to notice that something's amiss here. And he gives in, right? Now, isn't it funny, it's kind of ironic that this guy who doesn't really have any fear of God tends to back down from sweet little granny, right? He, he gives in to her, but doesn't seem to care much about what God has to say. Now, have you ever done this? Have you ever given in to someone who's just being really persistent and you're just like, fine. If you've had kids, you have. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, at least for mine, they tend to find the, the opportunities to get me over a barrel is when we're in the grocery store or uh, when we board an airplane, right? Those are two times when you are in confined spaces, you've got an audience, you can say what you want, and uh, mom and dad are going to have to give in, right? 
Pretty soon you find yourself, you're buying Mountain Dew and candy bars and firecrackers and whatever, just be quiet, right? Let me be. Maybe none of you do that. But I'm guessing it's happened to a few of us. So we know that we should give in to temper tantrum throwing kids or adults, to those who are pushy, rude, bossy, to get what they want. It doesn't help us. It doesn't help them. But we should work hard and persist for those who are experiencing injustice. We should stand for those who are being oppressed. And in this story, that's exactly what the widow has to do for herself because no one else tends to be there for her. She's on her own. Unfortunately, many people, when they've read this story, they've equated the heartless, cruel judge with God. That if somehow you want something, you have to persist banging on the doors of heaven to somehow get God to respond to you and give you what you want. But that's not at all what Jesus is teaching us. We need to remove that teaching, that interpretation from our minds because that's not where he's going. Instead, Jesus is wanting us to see that if even a poor, powerless widow can get justice from a heartless, godless judge, how much more will God then execute justice on behalf of those he loves, his children? It's a comparison. Jesus is wanting us to recognize that if this widow who had no shot of getting what she needed was able to accomplish that, how much more then is God going to be faithful and generous and show favor to his children when they are in times of trouble? That's what Jesus is really wanting us to understand here. Now, one key understanding to applying these disorienting stories, and I've been doing this each week, hopefully you've had some times to where you've uh, talked about this, is putting yourself into the story. Which character do I see myself in? Uh, And and as I've taught this at Yoder and McPherson and now here, uh, I continue to see that many people find that it's really easy to connect with the victim here in the story, to to put ourselves in, in the role of the widow. To say, well, yeah, I, I totally resonate with what she's going through. I've been, I've been a victim before. I've experienced injustice. People have stolen from me. People have abused me. I get it. Like, I would be seeking justice as well, and I, I, I side with her. But I think the reality is, is that, that Jesus also wants us to wrestle and grapple with the idea that many of us also share some similarities with the judge, don't we? This is something I think that we oftentimes tend to avoid, but the reality is we have a couple questions that we need to ask ourselves. First off, do I fear the Lord? I'm not talking being afraid of God and like every time I sin, I'm worried He's going to strike me down with lightning bolts. I'm talking about what it means to be putting ourselves under His authority, to have reverence and humility before the Lord, to allow God to lead my life. Do I have a fear of the Lord? Do I look to him is my my decisions in life are they guided by god and god's word do i look to the holy spirit to help orchestrate the things of my life or do i just kind of rule over my own life i'm my own judge and my own king and i decide what goes so that's one question i think we all need to wrestle with second do i really love people i'll be careful to answer that one too quickly I think a lot of us, we have an affection for people. We, we like people. We want them to like us, right? But oftentimes we have an attitude 
of generosity and love for others, but we don't always have a lifestyle of generosity and love for others. Those two things somehow need to meet for us to be able to represent Christ. You see, the adversary of the widow, we don't know much about him, but we know someone had done something to this widow that caused her to plead for justice. And that person, whether they stole from her or abused her in some way, they had committed a sin of commission. They had willingly chose to do something to her. The judge, on the other hand, is, is also committing sin, but he's doing so as a sin of omission, to failing to plead for those who are in need, to work on the behalf of others who are hurting. So, do you care for people? Two indicators that you might just want to look at. One is your schedule, and the other is your budget. These things can be helpful indicators as to whether or not my heart is aligned with those things that God cares about. Am I giving time to those people who might be in situations of injustice? Do I spend time pouring into the life of someone who's hurting? Do I care and walk alongside that single mom down the street? Do I, what am I doing to actually enact the love of God? Second, does my budget have any consideration for those who are in situations of injustice? Am I giving to those things that are promoting and helping those people who are suffering? Is that a part of my life? Those are questions that I think we can ask ourselves and begin to reflect on whether or not I'm emulating some of the things that we see in the life of this judge or whether I am trying to live a life that represents Christ. So who's vulnerable in your sphere of influence? Who are those people that you know you maybe could step alongside and help and walk with? And in all those situations, we can either be exploiting them, we can be ignoring them, or we can be protecting them. We have options in how we respond in those situations. So maybe one or two people. Who are those that we could be defending and helping that we're not? Write a name down. Pray about that. Ask God, how can you show me a way to to be involved there. Now, in 16 years of ministry, I recognize that not every victim is ready to receive our help. Uh, Here's the thing is is sometimes there's people who have uh, experienced some great pain in their life, but they'll actually use that status as a victim to victimize others, to hurt more people. And we have to be prayerful and careful as to how we walk with people in that and choose which ones to help and how to help them. What is help look like? But there's always an aspect in which we can be acting. I like this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he says, Life's most persistent and urgent question is, What are you doing for others? You know, we tend to do a lot for ourselves. We tend to do a lot for our families and for our church family. And recognizing that there's many people who are hurting and who are lost and who need the love of Christ. What are we doing on behalf of those people? Who is God calling you to defend for the cause of justice? And once that's clear, be persistent in prayer and in action to move forward in that direction. Now, I at times have been known to be called persistent. (laughs) Those who uh, know me well know that I can tend to kind of push in my my getting the way that I think is right. Uh, At times, when I persist in the wrong way, I've been called stubborn, bullheaded, a jerk. Maybe none of you have ever experienced that kind of uh, a label on yourself. But uh, when I persist in the wrong things, I can be uh, destructive. 
when I persist in the right things, though, God has used that and blessed that. Uh, and at times, I have been able to do that, to, to persist in a way that something was, was good and pure and right. You know, and five, six years ago, of course, I was feeling pretty burned out in ministry. I didn't feel like there was much future in, in where I was at, and I was asking God uh, a lot of questions about how I could move forward. But thankfully, I stayed persistent in prayer and in action. Uh, and, and through that process, I believe that God was calling me to help new things begin inside the uh, Mennonite church context, in, in an area where there's already Mennonite churches, to help new ones birth. And so I started reaching out to people, as persistent as I am, to, to ask, is this something you guys would have interest in? And one of those people I talked to was Pastor Howard. And I said, Howard, is this something that, that Journey would see a future in, and, and in particular sharing a vision of reaching more people in a place like McPherson? Now today, we can look back on that, those years in which I was wandering and uncertain and questioning God and dealing with all those uncertainties and all the work that has gone into the last few years together, and we can see that persistence pays. We can see that God has done great things through us all. There's so much that's, that's good that's happening. There's, the campus is growing, lives are being changed, something that almost never happened. So thank you. First off, for trusting not just me, but trusting God. Trusting God and, and listening to the Holy Spirit, being persistent in following where He leads you. Um, I know that my faith, my family's faith, our campus's faith has been bolstered by your faithfulness. And that I am grateful for you. And there's so much that's good that's happening right here on this campus. There's so much that we have to celebrate. And it's easy to kind of sit back and say, man, this is great. Let's just kind of coast for a while. We don't have to do much, do we? But we all know that there's still things that we are called to be persistent in, to continue to be persistent for God's mission in the world. You know, there's an awesome new facility, in case you hadn't noticed, being going up right here on this property. Uh, going to provide a lot of opportunities for uh, not only the people inside these walls, but also the way in which you can bless this community. Uh, I'm excited to see how that's going to take shape. Um, but there's a persistence that's needed. Uh, certainly as we look at our Ignite initiative, with nine months left in that, we'll need to be persistent in the resources as we continue to give faithfully to God. Many of you have been persistently giving sacrificially over the last 27 months. Some of you have been persistently putting up walls out there in that new building on your spare time and, and, and giving back to the church in that way. Some of you are working hard at partnership development so that that space is not only used by us, but by others as well. You know, there are needs in this community that will never be met unless they're met by you. And so just to continue to be persistent in that, to recognize God has called you and sent you to this place for such a time as this. I'm excited to see what's ahead for Journey at South Hutch. I'm excited for all of Journey Mennonite Church for what our future holds and how we can continue to walk in step with the Lord. But also, we need to recognize that we can't just rely on the collective mission. We need to remind ourselves that we must be persistent in our purpose as individuals as well. God has given each of you gifts and abilities, influence and opportunities in which you can be a light for Him. Perhaps you're being called to seek justice on behalf of others, for the widows, for the orphans, for the poor. Perhaps God has placed you in a position of power or influence in which you can be an advocate to assist those who are in need 
whatever it might be, wherever God might be calling you, God wants to use your gifts and abilities to bring more of heaven to earth. So be persistent in prayer. Be persistent in action. Keep replicating Jesus. Keep going up in and out. Keep being disciples who make disciples, remembering that we should always pray and never give up. So that when the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, returns, He will find faith is alive and well in this place and in many others because of our faithfulness. You know, the world of prosperity and power, those, those people outside of the church that might look at the church and see us as that poor, penniless widow, they don't have much to offer the world. They're, they're reliant upon a lot of other people. But that's not the reality at all. We know that we are the bride of Christ. We have been chosen. We have been called out to be his beloved. And the Lord wants to use us to bless the world. And so we have a great opportunity to walk into this with persistence, with love, with justice. And we know that when we do so, when we persist in what is just and good and right, that eventually the adversary, the, he will be brought to justice before the righteous judge. And that we will experience eternity with our Lord and our King. Let's pray and thank him for his goodness and his love this morning. Father, we do uh, just praise you for your unfailing love, for your continual faithfulness to us. God, that you uh, persist in our behalf, that you continue to pursue us, that you love us unconditionally, that you have offered everything on the cross for us. And so, Lord, we just, we, we praise you and we thank you and we ask, God, that you would continue to help us to, uh, to take the next step in our life, to continue to be more uh, and more in your image, that we might reflect your love to the world that you so love. We pray this together in the name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen.